Hello, everyone. I am David Tamez, and this is Lawrence Talks, a community podcast dedicated to exploring the issues of the day and their philosophical significance. To start the second season of our show, joining me today is founder and executive director of Satori Counseling Services, Reggie Jackson. Reggie is a licensed specialist in social work and is here to discuss everything from his work in the field of social work and his general thoughts about what it means to live well. Our podcast is produced thanks in part to our partners at the Hall Center for the Humanities, IDRH, KU Philosophy Department, and the College of Liberal Arts and Sciences. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, and online at lawrencetalks.org. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Hello, everyone. I am David Tamez, and this is Lawrence Talks. Before I begin discussing the topic of the day, I want to begin by thanking recent contributors. The Hall Center for the Humanities, IDRH, the Philosophy Department, and the College of Liberal Arts and Sciences. Together, they have contributed significant funds to improving the quality of our podcast and general programming. We're happy to have them as partners in our cause. Now, with all that being said... On today's show, I have I am joined by Reggie Jackson of Satori Counseling Services here in Lawrence. Reggie is a licensed specialist clinical social worker and is here to discuss his thoughts about well-being, the work he does, and the, and mental health. Reggie, thank you for joining us. Thanks, thanks for having me. Um, appreciate it. Yeah, um, and to begin with, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, your background, how you came to be in the work that you do? Okay. Um, I know we're in Lawrence, but I'm a K-State grad. Um, oh, kind of. Kind of. When when I graduated from from undergrad, kind of struggled to find myself. Um, for a while, I worked as a. Um, I managed a quick trip in Georgia for a while. I'm originally from Georgia, hmm. and so finally, I came back. Um, and needed a job and started working at a community mental health center in Manhattan, Kansas. Fell in love with the work. Um, I got to use my mind in different ways on a daily basis there. And so um, worked for this community mental health center, or CMHCs as we like to call them, um, for about five years and then went to grad school and got my master's in social welfare and um, been grinding it out ever since. I think uh, I've been in in the helping profession for 16 years now, something like that. Mm-hmm. I think it'll be 17 this year, maybe. Yeah, 17 in December. Um, oh, so wow. yeah, so been at it a while now. So it's it's uh, it's pretty cool. And did you do your grad work here at KU? I did. Went to grad school here at KU. Um, it was a great program. I got to go to school with a lot of, I had a really cool co- cohort, um, and people that are really doing th- really special things in the field of social work, and um, and so it was, um, I really liked that most of us were like non-traditional students in our 30s or late mm-hmm. 20s mm-hmm. or older, um, and a lot of my co- cohort had... Um, previous social work or helping profession um, experience. And so it was a lot of robust conversations in class and um, 
just really got to learn from one another. I got to learn a lot about myself, um, just being in that environment. Most of the time, I was the only male in the class, yeah. and so um, really had to learn how to put my toxic masculinity down and listen and and think quite differently than I had grown up thinking, to be honest. And yeah. so it was a really rich experience for me. Yeah, and how how important was it to have uh, an inspiring or um, a cohort that inspired you and um, really important, like I, things that will never, that literally changed my life. I really didn't listen to NPR prior to grad school, mm. and we had so many conversations about what was going on. This is, I graduated from grad school in 09, so, um, you know, the start, or the housing market had crashed and things like that, oh, yeah. so, um, Listening to NPR now, um, I became much more educated on um, feminism and um, the LGBTQ community as well. Um, and so, and never feeling judgment from the people I was in, in class with. And I've always kind of had, I kind of don't care whether you think I'm intelligent or not. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not afraid to ask questions. And so um, that creates great conversations sometimes. So, um, and no one ever made me feel judged by me asking my questions or stating my opinion and then them returning with, you know, a different perspective. And so helping me expand and grow as a person too, so vastly important yeah and that's so that's the that's the non-academic education that mm -hmm. that you got so that, yeah um that sort of because I, I think that's important to note that a lot of students come into a classroom um maybe a little shy about contributing because mm -hmm. they are afraid of sounding at least uh unintelligent right uh, they're not maybe not concerned with sounding intelligent but they're at least fearful of sounding unintelligent mm -hmm. um and so, and yeah, sometimes you just have to turn that, turn that off. Yeah. And it's like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to sound dumb today. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or if, if, at least if that helps, like yeah. you're going into is like, I'm, I'm going to sound uh, dumb today and that's okay. Put your fear down. That's, that's, uh, it's an important thing, at least in, you know, in small spurts and allow, um, yourself to see what happens next once you do that, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, uh, that's an important thing. I, I, um, taught for about three years in the MSW program, actually, mm -hmm. and, um, here at KU, and that was one frustrating thing as an adjunct professor is just my mindset of this is, um, an environment where, you shouldn't be worried about whether your your peers think you're competent or not. Like, let's ask questions and have awesome conversations um, because there's so much nuance in um, social work and, and clinical therapy and, and psychotherapy and things like that. So um, at times I felt like sometimes the students were um, afraid to, you know, 
really kind of put themselves out there where that was a skill I had. And so it was like a, you know, a collision course for me being frustrated. Like, let's just talk. There's no wrong answers. Yeah. Um, and so sometimes that was tough for me to, to deal with. Yeah. I mean, as, as, as a TA, I under, or yeah, as a TA, I've, I've run into similar, similar situations. Um, and, and so I guess you sort of redeemed yourself for uh, being a, a K-State uh, by coming <laughs> to our grad school. Yeah, yeah. I've done a lot of um, cool things with KU. My older brothers are KU grads, and so um, I, don't, I don't get too wrapped up in it. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but I am a K-Stater, but I'm not going to. Life has too many other more important things to be dealing yeah. with than, than um, where you went and got an expensive piece of paper from. Yeah. <laughs> do you, who do you root for? Uh, K-State. K-State? For sure. Okay. Yeah. yeah so. I try to save you. I try. <laughs> but. I ain't been scared in a long time, <laughs> David. <laughs> um, and so... One of the things that I'm interested in, and one of the reasons I, I wanted to have this conversation with you, um, is because the, the concept of well-being is, is something that's uh, a familiar topic within philosophy, which is mm-hmm. which is my background, um, and it's always interesting to see what uh, how people who actually deal with the concept and mm-hmm. maybe even applying the concept uh, in their own work. Uh, uh, deal with it and, right. and, and what they think of the issue. Um, and so I'm curious, uh, before we, we talk about your work, uh, what are your thoughts about well-being? What, what do you op- what's, what's your operating idea of, of well-being? I feel like wellness or well-being for me is being able to consistently operate at the level of happiness, stillness, peace, um, health, either mental health or physical health that we're capable of on a consistent basis. Um, With that being said, that's going to vary for other people. Mm -hmm. But trying to um, live... uh, in a place where you can you can be a human being and kind to other people and, and accept kindness from other people as well and um, treating people in a way that promotes well-being in your ecosystem, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's, that's what it is for me. Um, but it's got to start internally first. Okay. And not just doing things. Um, I always try to explain to people or tell people like karma doesn't work if you're doing something with the expectation that you're going to get something mm. back you do yeah. it from a or a, a organic place and then maybe something you know sometimes most of the time that comes back to you but um if you're doing it just to get something in return then you're not doing it from the place that i intended for that karma to happen yeah so um, we shouldn't we shouldn't expect karma to be guaranteed right, if we do right. some good deed right or yeah so um yeah that's that's wellness for me um and and there's a lot 
a lot of like gray area in there too. I, I feel like um, if someone smokes two packs of two packs a day and <laughs> they get it down to ten cigarettes a day, uh, that's wellness. You yeah, know, like yeah. they're doing better than they were. And um, and so what we have to be careful of from the outside looking in is like those people that are saying, damn, you smoke 10 packs or 10 cigarettes a day and, and judging them for that. We don't know the hard work they've done to get right. down to that, you know? And so um, that's what wellness and well-being is for me. Um, I forgot to mention spirituality, but some, some type of um, spiritual peace as well or seeking something that's maybe we believe is... I don't know. More uh, important than ourselves. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, And that can be anything. It can be the trees, the grass, God, the universe, whatever it might be. Yeah. And uh, one, I guess, classic debate uh, regarding well-being is what matters more, the internal things like our perception of of how our life is going Mm -hmm. um, versus the external part of it things that uh i guess that are actually part of part of our lives or uh-huh. um or maybe understood in another way um the things that people can see objectively from 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 another point of view yeah um you seem to highlight both of those mm-hmm. aspects in your in your working um idea of of well-being yeah um but do you have any intuition about what what might be more important than the other? Oh, I would say personal, internal um, well-being is the, the most important. I think uh, the, a ripple effect will happen if we're just taking care of our own shit, you know, yeah. and, and trying to live our best, consistently live our best life. I like to say no one's 100%, 100% of the time, mm-hmm. but um, shooting for that on a, on a consistent basis is... I think uh, your friends, your family, your loved ones, your coworkers, they're all gonna, um, that vibration's gonna go out to all of them when we're functioning in a, in a space of wellness, you know? Um, and we can uplift other people in our ecosystem uh, when maybe they're having a rough day, week, whatever it might be. And so I think, uh, it's a, if we're taking care of ourselves and minding our own business <laughs> and, and doing that, and um, I think there's some reciprocal energy exchanges um, based on that. So definitely internal work first um, is, is where I would start. Okay. And how do you, um, how does that, or how do you employ that in the work that you do? Um, I'm big in, into mindfulness. I try to teach um, most people I work with to mindfulness practices. Um, I talk with everybody about breathing, and um, I'm really into that. I I joke about this, but I'm serious about it. I would mm-hmm. love to become a yogi one day. <laughs> like That would be super cool, I think. And so, um, so mindfulness... Um, teaching people about stillness, um, being open to exploring uh, different spiritual practices, 
um, allowing people. Um, I really want people who come to our practice to feel safe emotionally there. Um, whether it's men I work with who um, have a history of being abusive or, you know, a 15-year-old kid who's struggling with going through puberty or fitting in, you know, I want to give that same energy out to all those people. There's different ways I have to work with those people, but at the same time, I want that that energy flowing through through me and the people, our staff, and, and just the practice in general. So I don't know if I answered your question no. on that. But no, you did. Um, that's um, a big one. Yeah, it's, um, I think part of your answer at least uh, brought in my head this question about, uh, I guess, judgment uh, and the way we tend to, from the outside, um, look at a person's life and, or see these very limited uh, aspects or elements of a person's life and then make a judgment mm-hmm. based on that. You seem to be suggesting that uh, we shouldn't do that because the person uh, that we observe is not, uh, that's not the whole person mm-hmm. that we see. Right. Um, there could be, there's much more to it. There's a sort of, uh, a back, a background uh-huh, to the uh-huh. to them and uh, of past events and past accomplishments yeah, for sure. that we're not seeing. There's um, <laughs> and it's funny because probably I believe we all have some toxic traits, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm pretty I'm a recovering perfectionist, mm-hmm. and so I can be pretty judgy of people in my in my circle. You know, like that's. Um, something I have to continue to work on. I want everyone to, that I love and who loves me to be operating at their optimum level. So that's, and that can be hard to deal with um, for those people in my ecosystem, you know. But um, for sure, I'm. I think it's my my greatest gift is I'm um, can be pretty. I'm I'm very aware of my judgments towards other people and my biases, and um, I can really be um, open-minded about the people I work with and um, look at things from more than one perspective when I'm working with people, and I think that's what makes me good at what I do is that I can work with people and not make them feel judged. I'm going to be pushy, <laughs> in therapy sessions with right. them because I yeah. want to challenge them. But at the same time, I don't want them... Um, I think I do a good job of um, allowing people to feel emotionally safe to to say and, and feel and think what they want to and we can discuss those things in the, in the space. Um, and so without that, um, there's going to be... Um, some gaps in the in the good work that I'm trying to do with them. So that's really important. I can um, see how someone can love someone and abuse them, you know, mm-hmm. and that makes sense to me um, that that can happen. Um, and for some people, they can be really black and white in that idea and be like, if you love someone, then you won't be abusive towards them. But um, like you were saying, 
people grow up in different environments and, and see different things growing up. Um, and they, they implement that in their adult life, you know, and in relationships with people that they care about. Um, one other thing real quick. Yeah. Um, just, so this is what makes social workers the best clinicians is that we have, um, we use our own model and it's called person and environment. Okay. So that means we're considering their whole experience mm. up until the point where they come meet us, you know, as clinicians. And so um, other people use, other professions use the medical model. Okay. Whereas, like, you come to me with a broke arm, I'm like, your arm's broke, I'm going to give you a cast, and that's kind of it. As social workers, we're like, how'd you break your arm? Mm-hmm. Um, have you ever broken it before? Um, Different sets of questions. Yeah, yeah. And and it's it's not that black and white, but it's definitely that person envi- and environment um, is, a, is our big, th- one of our big things is that we are seeking people's whole experience um, and implementing that into treatment plans and how we work with people. And so uh, that's what makes us awesome yeah. in, in this space. <laughs> yeah, and just to just to expand on uh, one part of your statement is uh, what sort of experiences at least help you understand, uh, I guess, the overlap of love and abuse? Um. I think childhood, I think uh, I've definitely, um, not only in my own home, just seeing how um, my mom disciplined us um, when we were kids versus how I disciplined my um, my own kids um, has changed. It's drastically different, but I think that's also what... Um, my mom knew as um, keeping us, you know, grounded and and disciplined. And my parents grew up in the South during the Civil um, Rights Movement, and so I think um, learning that you have to follow directions mm-hmm. and and like operate with, um, you know, with. Uh, Operate in a way where there's, you're you're showing that you're getting the job done in a timely manner, and um, them wanting us to be, um, perfect. There was not a lot of, uh, there was not a lot of congratulations. There was a lot of what are you gonna do next yeah. type mentality in yeah. my household, and um, so those were things that I think kind of tough love that can look like abuse sometimes, you know? And so, and it's a whole concept. And so, uh, I think that, um, I've, I've seen, um, stuff with friends and things like that. Um, so yeah, it's, those are things that, uh, books I've read, relationships I've seen, um, in my family and other families that all, that all makes sense to me. Yeah. And so, yeah. It's, it seems like in the uh, in the case that of your parents uh, in growing up in the civil rights uh, era, um, their, I guess, discipline was a matter, 
they wanted you to, uh, I guess, following instructions could be a matter of you getting in trouble. In, in, life and death. Yeah, life and death. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's why it was so important. Yeah. And my mom, um, it was three boys in the house, and um, my mom was super cool. Um, a lot of my, I was telling you off air that I have, my older brothers are quite a bit older than me. Mm-hmm. So their friends kind of, our house was like the gathering place. So it would be like five teenage boys there, you know, just all hanging out. And my mom didn't take no shit from no one. She's a tough lady. And um, and so um, she's softened, softened as she's gotten older. Um but she still is a tough-minded person, probably um, one of the reasons I'm a tough-minded person. She's a hero of mine, you know, and so, um, but yeah, how she disciplined us would not be okay. Yeah, right yeah, now, yeah. You know? yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's a, that's a question that a lot of parents have these days is mm-hmm. uh, what's that fine line between... Um, Expecting a lot of your children, uh-huh. um, and and demanding a lot of them versus yeah. uh, being more uh, accepting of when they fail mm-hmm. or uh, mm-hmm. uh, when they tend to do, when they go in the wrong in the wrong yeah. direction. I uh, a funny quick story. My my yeah. daughter's nine, and so um, she is super gifted, super smart. But um, the the way academics is set up for her is not the best way for her. Like she's, I don't see her always making all A's. She will in some classes, but um, she really needs a different platform for learning. Mm-hmm. Um, but super one of the super smart, literally one of the funniest people I know, and she's nine years old. But I told her that if she miss three or less on her spelling tests, I would take her to Starbucks because she loves the chocolate croissants. Mm-hmm. And so <clears throat> she missed five on this last spelling test. Oh. And so I'm like, no, <laughs> no. Ch-. She's like, I'm the worst person in the world now. <laughs> like, but it's only two hours. Like yeah. the deal was three or less. And that's, I'm not letting her slide on that. I'm not teaching her that the world will let her slide on that. And that's probably my mom's teachings, but in a different way, you know? And, and so now for a couple of days, I was a bad guy, you know, like I, I, I was close, eh, close doesn't get you yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, that's, that's kind of how I operate with, with, um, in my parenting. Like if we're going to make a deal, I want her to know that we're going to follow through on that deal. So and yeah. that's kind of how the world's going to treat you as well. Yeah, no, I, I think it's it's always a uh, interesting uh, dilemma that parents have in in navigating or finding that that uh, threshold or that mm-hmm. that right spot between um, demanding more of their yeah. children and but also loving them in a in a culture in a uh, way that cultivates their their development. Yeah, and, I work really hard on not being extra with her and like pushing her to like we were pushed, you know, Mm -hmm. like, um, and so, um, 
yeah, it's, it's, it takes a lot of work for me to just be like, it doesn't have to be this way that I idealize it, you know? Yeah. And so, um, cause it's hard to argue with the results because right, right, right. you've done, you've done quite well for yourself. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And like my older brothers, my, my, one of my brothers is, um, you know, he's a retired major in the army. Hmm. Um, he has at least one bronze star. Um, from his time deployed, my other brother is um, works for Dollar Tree, and so like all of us are ex- successful college graduates, and no one else in my well, not no one else, but that was rare in my family. You yeah. know, when we start to look at the extended family, and so they really pushed us. I remember my dad told me one time the first home he lived in that he could remember didn't have floors in it and he's you know he's 74 so that's not that long yeah. <laughs> long ago and like he did sharecropping and shit like that you know and so um their brilliance is that they although they raised us hard they they um wanted something different for us than they, what they experienced so um pretty amazing yeah nice and, and um, so what are the some of the common issues you hear from your clients? Um, yeah, so. Okay. Um, first, I would say depression and anxiety are the two most diagnosed mental health diagnoses. So we're always running into that, um, or I'm always running into that. That's just um, part of of doing the work, I think, is you're going to see people struggling with those two things. Um, I would say the thing I would like your listeners to know about is that only about 25%, maybe 20% of the people I work with would have what we call like challenges that prevent them from functioning um, at their best or optimal level consistently in in society. So like um, maintaining jobs or maintaining healthy relationships or um, things like that. The vast majority of the people I'm working with are struggling with things like stress and worry, um, transition or phase of life transitions, going through a divorce, finishing up high school and going to college, adjusting to college, um, business owners who are just dealing with the anxiety of owning a business, you know, Mm -hmm. um, people struggling in relationships, um, people trying to navigate through um, being a person of color in a predominantly white institution or having all... Uh, people of color having um, predominantly white coworkers or things like that. So um, I don't want to say they're everyday problems, but um, and some people just want to f- sort through some stuff, yeah. their own stuff. They recognize um, that they want to be different. They want to function differently or feel better or take steps towards wellness. And so... Um, I really want to destigmatize mental health or going, not even mental health, but going to see a therapist. You get to talk to someone, 
They can't tell anyone anything um, about what we're talking about um, unless you say you're going to hurt yourself or someone else or you tell them about some abuse or neglect of someone who couldn't take care of themselves. But other than that, you go get to talk to this person. They shouldn't make you feel judged, and you can say whatever the hell you want to say. And what's better than that, you know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> um, so yeah, that that's uh, a lot of the work I do. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of people have this, uh, and at least people that I know for sure, have this idea that um, going to a therapist uh, is sort of a loss like mm-hmm. it's 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 them losing um yeah. in some way yeah um but it, it needn't 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 be that way right? no no it's uh no way no way it's, it's a gain it's uh sometimes you just feel lighter i don't know if you've ever had the experience of just like really holding on to something that was eating at you or what have you and then you told someone and you just felt lighter. Like, mm-hmm. that's what I want people to feel like when they leave our offices, you know, like, or our offices just feel lighter. Like, oh, I got that off my chest. This person didn't judge me for how I was feeling or how I was thinking. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's about um, opening up. When, when we let go of some of this stuff, it opens up other avenues, you know, in our mind, our body, our spirit on things we want to work on or things we want to start letting go go of. Um, that um, I like this idea of you can open one door, but you don't know how many doors are behind that door. Yeah. So um, maybe you go in and you, you open one door um, that you've kept locked very tightly for years and years and years. And then by opening that door, you're able to access some of these other doors. Some positive, maybe some are going to require some work as well. But, um, yeah, it, it's uh, it's not a loss. It's not a sign of weakness. Um, it's it's powerful. It's, it's stepping into more power for you. Yeah. And how often do you find it the case that uh, a lot of that sometimes it is just a matter of sharing mm-hmm. uh, that uh, grief or whatever they're holding on right. to? That that's really like they're not necessarily looking for um, advice or someone to right. direct them in some way. Right. It's it's uh and, and especially women um, come to therapy much more often than men. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and I really advocate, I do a lot of work with men and men's issues. And so we as men need to do a um, better job of getting in there. I'm not just saying that as a therapist. I've been to a therapist before um, several times actually, but uh, we we need to be able to not stuff all that stuff down. I always tell people like you, you can continue to stuff that stuff down, but it's going to come out some way, whether it's risky sexual behaviors, whether it's drinking or drugging, whether it's, uh, you know, being reckless with your finances. It's going to come out some, some, somehow, some way. Yeah. Um, and so talk about it. 
it's, it's uh, hard until it's not hard anymore. When she's kind of see how the process works, um, I think uh, I think it will be really helpful for a lot of people. And um, what do you find that works uh, the most in terms of, um, in, in addition to people talking talking it out? Um, and you mentioned uh, a, the program that you try to instill in, in your in your work. Um, apart from talking uh, mm-hmm. and and releasing their sort of their you know, their trauma or their the, some issue that they've been holding on to, um, what ter- what uh, what are the things that are that tend to be helpful in people achieving uh, their level of well being? Um, <clears throat> being mindful of the people you have in your life, mm-hmm. um, what type of energy they're bringing to you, um, and what kind of, well, I shouldn't say bringing to you that you're ex- exchanging with them. Um, self-awareness is a, a huge one. Some people are kind of fumbling through life and not, not looking at their own shit, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, blaming, all these external things on why their life is not in the in the way that, operating in the way that they would like to, and I think it's really important to just uh, in almost everything consider yourself first before you externalize and look at how other things impacted you. Look at how you may have impacted your external resources. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something I really push people on is, um, people will come in and say, oh, these three things or these three people are impacting me negatively. And I will challenge them, like, how are you impacting them? Hmm. And, or they'll spend, you know, 45 minutes talking about what happened to them or talking about other people and not talking about themselves, you know? And so... That's safer, you know. I think that's natural. Um, And so um, pushing them on, let's bring this back to you, Um, recognizing we don't have control over how other people operate, um, but we do have control over how we um, engage them. Yeah. Um, And so that, um, I'm coming up on two years being a vegan, and so being aware of how we eat and um i could do a whole nother podcast on on uh gmos and all that good old stuff yeah. but uh i really do think they're poisoning poisoning us and so we need to be careful of what we're putting in our bodies and i would say getting some type of i don't i say exercise but i say get outside if if you're able-bodied and can do that you mm-hmm. know just we're, we're coming off a of winter, and um, we need to get out in the sun and get some vitamin D, um, humor, laugh, smile. Some of the people in your ecosystem need to make you laugh or you need to make them laugh. You know, that's important, too. Um, so, yeah, being trying to be active a little bit, whether okay. that's um, going to the gym. Can we just a walk? Or? Yeah. Yeah, I, I um, 
I love the outdoors. I got some of my my homeboys that I grew up with, like, I'll be like, let's go hiking or camping. And they're like, man, black people don't <laughs> camp, hike. I'm like, come on, try it out, man. Um, but I, it's hard to get them out there. But yeah. I think it's funny because I don't know about you, but I grew up, like, playing army in the woods and stuff. And mm-hmm. so, like, isn't that like hiking and camping? That's how I feel like that's what, like, it's adult playing army in the woods. You know? Yeah. <laughs> that's how I look at it. So yes, yeah, so, I mean I've I've come to find that a lot of the things that we do as adults are just some uh, heightened version of what we did as as children. Absolutely, I try to look at um, going to the gym as adult recess. That's all it is. Mm-hmm. Like I get to run around and just be do my own thing for a little bit before I go out and attack the world. You know. Yeah. So. Although we don't have as much energy. No. As we. No. <laughs> no. no. Um, yeah, for sure. No, I mean uh, some of the some of the thoughts that you shared uh, um, actually overlap with things that have been said for the longest of time, right? Uh, the ancient Greeks had this saying of uh, "Know thyself," mm-hmm. um, and they also had this because it seems like some of your comments uh, can be seen as advocating for a sort of examined life. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, would that would that be an important sort of living the examined the examined yeah, life? Yeah, for sure. I, I um, you know, when I'm guilty of being on social media way too long and being kind of obsessive about my practice and wanting to build it, um, but we need time to be able to stop worrying about what other people are doing and like take time to not just like how we're thinking because that's we're always in our heads but how we're feeling you Mm -hmm. know and what what things are making us feel a certain type of way Uh, we need to be aware of that and um we the less and less of that is is can occur now because we have so much access to so much stuff and we can shop online and we can grocery shop and, you know, all those things. You know, if eating out, like, you can do a lot of soul searching while you're prepping a meal, you know. <laughs> like, yeah. But now it's like uh, I'll have something delivered by Grubhub and I'll look at Facebook or IG. IG is my favorite uh social media outlet <laughs> so I'll use that a lot but um, look at that stuff while I'm waiting on my food to come and then yeah. you're also while you're cooking you're being active and maybe you're cooking with someone and you're interacting with them so all those everything's um, so automated for us that mm-hmm. um, we have time to be on these phones um, but less time to be self-reflective or have conversations where someone says something um, and it creates some type of uh, reflectiveness for us. Um, My mom was just telling someone, my mom is a brilliant woman, and so one thing that she used to always tell us, tell me, was no one's going to tell you the same lie. So Mm -hmm. three different people that don't know each other say... um, 
you got bad breath. You may want to look yeah. at yourself yeah. and be like, yeah. maybe I need to do something to work on my breath, you know, That's my a good hygiene. Rule. That's yeah, a good rule. yeah. And so, um, yeah, it's uh, self-reflection, I think, is big. And just, like I said, we are um, constantly in our heads and in our thoughts, and we need to f- um, be more, have more of a mind-body connection. Um to see how we're responding to things physiologically, you know? And so I think that's a big deal. Yeah, you mentioned um, in a different context uh, uh, the idea of automation. And what gets what you bring up, I think, is... Uh, so we hear a lot about how uh, jobs are being automated. And, mm-hmm. uh, but... It seems like what what you know what you could bring out of uh, out of your statement uh, was that our interaction with the world is somewhat automated. Yeah. Uh, because, like you said, many people go through Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, and that seems to be a way of them interacting mm-hmm. with the world, mm-hmm. or or maybe is perceived as some kind of interaction with the world. But you're saying get out of get out of that cycle a little bit. Yes. We're social beings. Like, yeah. we're supposed to be interacting probably face-to-face, you know, yeah. um, and doing things as a family unit and as a tribe. And uh, and so it, it's, um, yeah, automated. It's inauthentic, to be honest, a lot of the times. If, we, um, if we're saying things through social media or what have you that we wouldn't say to someone face-to-face, then I, I don't think that's authentic, you know? And so, um, but even, like, meeting someone that you want to date or something like that, even that's automated. So yeah. you, can do yeah. a, you can do a pre-check yeah. before yeah. you decide um, who, if this person's a good fit for you for going out on a date. And so... Um, you know, it, it's, uh, yeah, I, I would say com- continue to build community. We're social beings. Um, and so um, that, I think that's an important thing. I've, that's something that we're losing um, on a daily basis, I feel like. Yeah. Um, but we need that. And w- one thing I want to uh, get your thoughts on Um you might know that in in our city, in our county, uh, we've been it's been mulled over the idea of uh, spending money on expanding the county jail. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. While many residents believe that we should be spending that money on mental health initiatives and in our homeless population, yeah. Um, and I was wondering, as a uh, health professional, as a as a uh, therapist. What are your thoughts on on those sort of on this on this issue? I um, first of all, I want to be transparent. Um, I don't reside in Lawrence, but I'm here every day. I bank in Lawrence. <laughs> I spend a lot of money here. I'm probably here more than I'm at my own home. But um, I think it's uh, the behavioral health unit idea is a, is a great idea. But I would want to know how the money would be spent. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're doing, in my mind, kind of a jail and a behavioral health unit are kind of synonymous, 
from the perspective of you're catching people on the back end, we need to be mm. doing more stuff on the prevention side. Um, so hopefully um, some of those dollars are being spent on educating at the school level um, as early as elementary. I've worked with, um, you know, middle schoolers who say as part of a dating relationship, I need to know the passcodes to your social media, which mm. is control. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, um, you know, like, how are the dollars being spent? I like the idea of exploring and really digging into behavioral health more, but that's that would be one concern I, I would have is um, how you're going to, implement prevention practices in the, in the county. Um, and then as far as the jail issue, I think it's a catch-22. Like if if you expand the jail um, and it gets filled up, um, you know, we also have to look at the amount of crimes being done in the community and what is causing those things. And mm-hmm. if you don't expand the jail and crime goes up, then people are saying, well, what are y'all going to do to make, you know, right. get these criminals off the street? Yeah. And so I, I really, it's it's a catch-22, and I'm, I'm like, eh, um, I don't know what to say about it. I don't I don't think there's a, from a social justice standpoint, do I want to see jails expanded? No, because more than likely more people of color are going to be in those in those jail right. cells. So from that perspective, I'm not down with it. But also, we what the alternative is what like and so um, it's a it's a difficult thing from a money perspective. I was looking at some some stuff, and it sounds like the jail's farming out some spaces, some sales for other for run over from other jails. So I'm sure there's a dollar amount attached to that. So that's bring, maybe bringing in dollars to the community too, which can be used for prevention efforts and things like that. So um, it's, it's um, I think people have to wrap their mind around it. They're not going to get it the way they want it. It's going to have to be some compromises um, I'm big on prevention. That's that's one thing that um, I think we need to be doing um, at an earlier age. I think I talked with you about <clears throat> off air about having my batteries intervention program. That's something we, we do at Satori Counseling. And so uh, these are guys who are 99% of them are mandated to be there by the courts. And so one thing I'm really wanting to do is do more com- community education at, hmm. um, you know, I don't, I don't think it's ridiculous to say at like fifth, sixth grade with, um, with, with children about how to develop healthy, intimate partner relationships. And that might freak some people out saying, 10 and 11 year olds talking about or 11 and 12 year olds talking about healthy intimate partner relationships but um, developing that muscle at an early age so that we know how to treat each other in intimate partner relationships is um, 
huge. You know, I, some of the feedback I've gotten from people I've had in group is we should have had this class a long time ago. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, probably. Like, so that's how I feel about it. I don't know if I answered your question the no. way that you wanted to, but I, I've, it's, uh, it's great that Lawrence is looking to do something um, on the behavioral health side. Um, and then the gel expansion. Um, the town's not going to stop growing either. Yeah. So you're going to have yeah. more people coming in. And so eh, I don't know what people, what my question, I guess, would be what is the alternative if gel expansion's not going to happen? Uh, they don't want the gel expansion, um, but crime's not going down. What What is, what are we going to do? Yeah. So. No, I mean, I, I, I uh, have no had no agenda on this um, on this question. I just thought it, it it was something that I wanted to get your thoughts on because it did uh, you do work in this mm-hmm. in this very important issue, and um, I think people need to be educated on just uh, what these measures should include uh, if we are going to go with the behavioral uh, uh, health side, side mm-hmm. of things and mental mm-hmm. health side of things. Um, and I think the the questions you raise um, are are important, um, especially the providing these sort of classes to to younger uh, to kids mm-hmm. um, might be might be important in the preventative side of things. Like I think I think you're right, right? If 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 we're talking about putting dollars in in um, at at the end of all these. Uh, issues or where people are coming in mm-hmm. that seems to be uh, counterintuitive yeah, or yeah. the wrong thing to do. Like, um, yeah, the detoxification um, units and things like that. So how do we prevent people or lessen? I don't think um, people are going to stop drinking and drugging. Like That's just not going to happen. And it's unrealistic to think think that that will happen but how can we get less people mm-hmm. drinking and drugging so that we have less people having to use these detoxification stations or staying overnights um to sober up you know like how can we work at on that so that we don't need this um million dollar facility for people to come sober up or um i mean there's also some other things I've read as far as uh, transitional housing and things like that, which is great because homelessness is going to happen as well. Like that, that's a reality of, and that's not just a Lawrence problem; that's an America problem. Right. Yeah. And so, um, kudos to Lawrence for really working to assist the the homeless or um, tr- transitional. Po- um, Populations. I think we, the the county does a hell of a job of, of helping those folks, and so and some of these grassroots organizations as well. Um, but how do we make that stuff sustainable so that um, the numbers start to to drop? You know, like best case scenario, we don't need homeless shelters anymore. Yeah. You know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, or we don't need um, places for people to sober up. But that's a little, um, that's maybe a little 
fantasizing a little bit, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we need those resources. So yeah, best case scenario, I don't have a job because people are all well, and and um, I have to go look for something else to do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so. Well, Reggie, um, before I let you go, um, is there anything that you want to leave our listeners with um, as sort of a final note? Um, I am. uh, We we do have a group practice. We're on the east side at 1423 Haskell Avenue. We have a Spanish-speaking therapist there as well, so that's awesome. Her name's Madeline Zavala. Um, And... um, also, just we have a Facebook page, Satori Counseling Services, and Satori Counseling is my Instagram or our Instagram um, handle. Um, and uh, I appreciate you having let me have this platform to come do this. I think you're doing awesome work. You're a cool dude. We had a lot of time to chit chat prior to getting on the air or on on here, so. Uh, thanks for having me, and uh, I appreciate it. Yeah, well, I appreciate you reaching out and uh, coming on to our show. Yep, um, yep, I really liked it. Yeah, and I, we hope to have more of these. And um, again, thank you, thank you, Reggie, for for being here, um, folks. We ho- we hope to have more uh, more of these issues and uh, community led discussions uh, in the future. Uh, so stay tuned, uh, and thanks for listening.